When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of bisexuals, trisexuals, and homo sapiens. I'm Hannah Leach. (laughs) And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2005's Rent. Rent, 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 rent. We're not gonna pay rent. There are times when we're dirt broke and hungry and freezing, and I ask myself, why the hell am I still living here? A bunch of us are getting together tonight. Would you like to come with us? Sure. That was like a weird tenor part. Everything is Literally. rent. Rent, 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 rent. We're not going to pay rent because everything is rent. Because everything is rent. <laughs> They're not wrong, but also you could have maybe done something better. <laughs> okay, so you know rent. You know what it is. You've heard of it at the very least. Um, And while there's much to talk about regarding the movie, there is also a lot of cultural and even historical context to its existence. Um, And understanding that really, uh, like, contextualizes why it's important to so many people and why it's so polarizing also, I feel like. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, and a lot of people, including us... um had no clue about any of this when we first encountered Rent. Like, Mm -hmm. as far as I knew, when I first heard of Rent, it could have been entirely fictional. Like, that's how little I knew. Yeah. Truly. Well, that's something we'll talk about also. Yeah. Yeah. So just bear in mind, this is not coming from a condescending place. It is us. We have learned. We have learned the history. (laughs) We've educated ourselves We have educated ourselves for this episode. And so it's really just passing our knowledge to you while also roasting the shit out of Chris Columbus's <laughs> 2005 version of Rent. Yes, absolutely. Neither of us are coming at this from a Rent stand perspective. Uh, if someone was closer, it would be me. Really? I am not a Rent stan, but I do know the words. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I know the words, so that tells you something. But yes. when it comes to the story... It's trash, mom. <laughs> anyway. okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Are we ready to get into the facts? Yeah. Okay. So 
Rent was released on November 23rd, 2005, nine years after the off-Broadway debut of the show itself. It was directed by Chris Columbus, best known for directing (laughs) Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets, The Help, Home Alone, Home Alone. He didn't direct The Help. He produced it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was like, oh, I know who directed The Help. (laughs) I've worked for the man. Right, 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 right. He's awful. Yes, my bad. He produced The Help. Um, But he did direct Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 and Mrs. Doubtfire and Percy Jackson and the Olympians. And- and there you go. He's also produced a ton of shit that's like relevant to us. Like he's been a producer for a lot of things too. Interestingly, Spike Lee was originally attached to Makes a this. lot of sense. It would have been very cool to see. It would have been, I guarantee, a way better film. Yeah. A hundred percent. The man is name dropped in the show. Yes, exactly. Like he's of the time. He understands, you know, it, yes. it might not be his thing and I understand mm-hmm. why he'd be like, maybe not do that. Yeah. But I think it would have been a way better film. I totally agree. Also, Baz Luhrmann was apparently in the running, which makes sense, all things considered. Also, not I Not his vibe, though. Definitely not his vibe. <laughs> I realized something really um, embarrassing, though, today when I was putting these notes together, which is that I fully thought that Chicago came out in 2004, but it came out in 2002, which explains why all those other musicals happened. Oh, because of the success of Chicago? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that, Mm -hmm. um, but it makes a lot of sense. Rent was written, but obviously written by Jonathan Larson, who was the composer, the book writer, the lyricist, the source of a lot of- Idea haver. Yeah, the the (laughs) conceiver of Rent. And as legend has it, and also is factually true, he tragically died the day before the first preview performance at the New York Theater Workshop in downtown New York City, which really added a lot of like emotional ante to the show. Um, Yeah. But despite what I thought until literally today, Jonathan Larson did not die of AIDS. He died of an aortic dissection. And I read aortic aneurysm. It's like the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... It adds a specific flavor. We're going to come back to this yeah. exact thing, though. But I just want to say, I think this is sort of a Mandela effect thing where people associate them so heavily. And the fact that he died the day of the preview, like it's it's too goddamn much. Yeah. And so I think it got kind of melded in people's minds and for other reasons. We'll get into it. But it does seem like kind of a Mandela effect to me. What is a Mandela effect? It's like when you think like... um. I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, when, when everybody seems to remember something one way. Isn't it like the Berenstain Bears thing? Yeah, and then yeah. you go and look and it's not that. And you're like, but it is that. Yeah. But everybody thinks that it's something else. Yes. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, but we'll get into that because I don't know how accidental that yeah. is. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I, I am not here to slander the name of a dead man, but we will be talking about authorial intent a bit later in the episode, I think. Anyway, okay, so Jonathan Larson created the show, and his show was inspired by Giacomo Puccini's <laughs> La Bohème, which was a opera about the tuberculosis crisis in 1840s Paris, I believe. So that was some source material. And then Stephen Chbosky wrote the screenplay. Um, he's definitely best King. known for um, being the <laughs> author of Perks Being a Wallflower, as well as the director and screenplay writer, I think. 
And he also wrote randomly, he doesn't have that many credits, um, but he wrote the Beauty and the Beast screenplay, the Emma Watson version, but he's also like the Emma Watson go-to person for whatever reason. Yeah. And then also he was the showrunner and head writer of this show called Jericho I had never heard of. All right. Yeah. And then there was a bunch of producers, <laughs> but there was nothing that interesting about them, unfortunately. So I didn't put them in. Okay, so plot synopsis for anybody who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Set at the dawn of the 1990s, a group of New Yorkers struggle with their careers, love lives, and the effects of the AIDS epidemic on their community. Yeah. Pretty good, <laughs> actually. Um, yes. The fact that it says they struggle with their careers, love lives, and effects of the AIDS epidemic. See how there's not a specific story there? <laughs> that's because there's not. That's because there isn't one. <laughs> but that's why I kind of like that plot synopsis because it's pretty accurate. And then as far as taglines, we've got three. Uh, the first one is eight friends, one extraordinary year. I feel like that tagline wants people to think that it's like that's a feel good friend group movie. This is bad. It's not that. The second one is love, hope, struggle, triumph. Where's the triumph? <laughs> Where's the triumph There's in this? There's like an ounce of triumph, I guess. I, I would, uh, I don't know. All right. We'll see. All right. We'll find out. <laughs> is there a triumph? <laughs> and the third one is from lyrics from the show, No Day But Today. That yeah. would be the best one. Yes, I agree. I wanted to sing it, but then I stopped. Okay. So now we have the cast. And now something very interesting about this movie adaptation is unlike a lot of other movie adaptations of Broadway shows, this cast retained all but two of its principal actors in their original roles. The only reason that it wasn't entirely the original Broadway cast is because one of them was pregnant and couldn't do it. And then another one of them was like, I'm too old for this. I'm not doing this. Yeah, she was like 35 and she was supposed to be playing a 19 year old. It's whoever's playing Mimi. Great call. Yeah, good for her. The self-awareness. It didn't stop the rest of these people. No. So, and the rest of these people are as follows. So first of all, we have Anthony Rapp as Mark, potentially the most hateable man in fiction. Not actually, but a a dreadful individual. Um, And he is best known for this role in Rent. Um, Dreadful individual? That's so mean. The character is a dreadful individual. Oh, yes. No, Anthony Rapp himself seems like a very stand-up individual. Isn't he the one who, um, like, outed Kevin Spacey for being a creep? Mm Mm-hmm. He was one of them. Yeah. Um, So we give him his flowers for that. We do. It's not his fault that the character he originated is the worst. Yeah. But so he also was in Dazed and Confused, A Beautiful Mind, Adventures in Babysitting. And he's probably best known to people at this point as um, a recurring character in Star Trek Discovery. And I'm a Star Trek type of person. So love him for that. Next up, we have Adam Pascal as Roger. And again, both these people originated these roles on Broadway. He's playing basically the exact same role in School of Rock as Theo, who's like the front man of the band that kicks Jack Black out. Um, he also originated- Read between the lines, Theo. Yeah. Read between the lines. He's like, you suck. You're out. That's what he says. Heal me. That's a great song. A minor G. He also originated the role of Radames and Aida, a.k.a. the show that we did with all white people at my high school, which you should not do. Uh, and he's primarily a stage actor. That's like his main gig. IMDb told me he's a Scorpio, which I felt like was a fun piece Accurate. of information. And based off of the amount of work he's been doing over the past few years, it seems like he does like 
one project a year. He's with his wife that he's been with since 1993. They have some kids. He's 50. He seems pretty happy as far as I can tell. So love that for him. Next up, we have Rosario Dawson as Mimi. Uh, She was not in the original cast, and you can tell based off the vocals, I hate to say, Um, but she is best known for her roles in Jane the Virgin, Luke Cage, Gemini Division, Clerks, Josie and the Pussycats, lest we forget, Eagle Eye, Unstoppable, and the Lego Batman movie. Next up, we have Jesse L. Martin as Tom. He has done some TV, may I tell you. He was in over 200 episodes of Law & Order, over 150 episodes of The Flash, and he also was in Smash and Ally McBeal, along with a lot of other uh, programs. Also, it's like Tom Collins. They call him Collins the whole time, not Tom. And then we have Wilson Germain Heredia as Angel. And clearly, the role of Angel has kind of been his like career defining role. Um, He hasn't done a ton of other stuff, but he's like incredible in this role and he also originated it. So love him. Next up, we have Idina Menzel as Maureen. We've already talked about her several times on this podcast. Um, She gets characterized as being a bitch all the time. She's basically in like every fairy tale adjacent thing of the past 15 years. She's the voice of Elsa. She was in Enchanted. She was in Glee as Rachel Berry's mom. She originated the role of Elphaba on Broadway. And she kind of has like the perfect career for someone in her like sphere, I would say. Yeah. Um, And then next up, we have Tracy Thomas as Joanne. She also was not in the original Broadway cast. So it's just the Joanne and the Mimi are two different people from the original cast. Um, And she's best known for Ray's Death Proof 911. And she is in Devil Wears Prada. She's one of the mean friends of Andy in Devil Wears Prada. But she's also been on like a million TV shows over the past like 15 years. And I think her anger is justified in that movie. Yeah. Or like being like, what the hell? Anyway, yeah, we've already so. discussed that. We don't that. need to do it again. Um, <laughs> and then last but not least, we have Tay Diggs as Benny. He is best known as having played the band leader in Chicago as far as like movie stuff goes. But he also was in House on Haunted Hill, Equilibrium, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Brown Sugar, and The Best Man, among a lot of other things. And also, just a fun fact A, he's really handsome, and B, he met Idina Menzel during Rent, and they were married for 11 years from 2003 to 2014. They have Um, a child as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the cast. Audrey. All right. So we're going to speed through this stuff because, listen, we've got a history lesson to get to. Also, the critical takes are kind of intense, so. Yeah. So the budget was $40 Um, they made 10 million roughly on opening weekend mm-hmm. and the overall worldwide gross is 31,670,620. This is the first time that a movie has ever not made their budget back on the overall worldwide gross. Yeah. On Sleepover Cinema. That, yeah. <laughs> on this particular podcast. On this podcast. That's nuts because we've seen some bad ones. I know, but that they must have had to spend a ton of money, which makes no sense because literally they have like one set of a city block that they use over and over and over again. I, yeah. I have questions. Rent 
they missed their zeitgeist so hard by doing yeah. it so much later. Yeah. There's a 46% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's actually better than I maybe would have yeah. expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and the critical consensus is fans of the stage musical may forgive Rent its flaws, but weak direction, inescapable staginess, and an irritating faux boho pretension prevent the film from connecting on screen. Yes. Correct. Pretty much. And then we've got some critical takes as well. I'm just going to I'm gonna go, mm-hmm. go through them. Mm-hmm. So the first one is the movie directed without a personal stamp of any kind by Chris <laughs> Columbus is so slick that the grime comes from a spray can and the grungy bohemian costumes look rented from a Betsy Johnson boutique sale. <laughs> the second one is this just might be the single most shockingly good movie I've seen all year and with as underwhelming as much of this fall's more high profile flicks have been, Rent couldn't have come at a better time. Who is this person? <laughs> this is the one positive one that I pulled. I literally was not, sh- I was waiting for a shockingly awful. And yeah, then it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The third one is it's real and on screen, it's really cringeworthy. Not quite Phantom of the Opera crin- cringeworthy, but not as much fun to blow raspberries at either. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth one is, as strong as the music is, there's not much tying Rent together. It's a series of sequences, not a story. Ding, 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 yep, ding, ding, there ding, There it ding. is. There it is. Okay. So audience score, I'm going to take this, okay? So 83% audience score, the people enjoyed it. Um, and there are two audience takes I wanted to include. One of them is short and one of them is a little bit of a tirade that I edited for length. So this is the first one. Nothing rings true in this insufferable musical that doesn't have any focus and is filled with awful songs of pedestrian lyrics, some of them sung by terrible singers, centered on a completely artificial and outdated idea of New York based on stereotypes and cliches, which... Okay, this review was made in 2017 and the movie is set in 1989. So it's like, okay, of course it's going to be outdated to you. Okay, and then there was this iconic tirade that I found and this is an excerpt from the tirade. So this is from Lexus who gave a one half star rating. I don't know what happened in my previous review, but I'm going to emphasize it even more now. Wish I could rate this negative stars. Everyone I know who likes this is over 30 and lives in a fantasy world with it. Typical millennials. I feel the AIDS crisis was romanticized in this. Almost all the characters had it. I think IDK. Again, none of the characters were memorable other than I am whiny and I need to be in the spotlight. And they either wanted to love someone before they die or do something before they die, which I guess those are the only two options if you know you're dying. So romantic. Three hearts for eyes emojis. Go back to the 80s if you like this circus joke of a movie and stay there. There was a lot there. Yeah. And then the last one, critics are bitter fools. This movie changed my life. They do not understand what it's like being outside of society. I have friends with HIV. This movie is beautifully crafted. So there's some generational beef in there, which I do think is applicable. Um, And then just like taste. Yes. Taste levels. Taste level. And like (laughs) self-awareness and knowing history versus wanting to feel maudlin. (laughs) Maybe. Kind of maudlin. Like uh, the word maudlin maudlin. came to me. Wait, but Audrey, um, would you like to take us away? So normally this would be the gossip section or like the cultural context section. And today it is definitely the cultural context section. So Audrey, you have the floor. Okay, so I made a timeline basically contextualizing the creation of rent within the actual AIDS crisis and how that went down. Yeah. 
And um, all my information, except for the stuff about rent, is gathered from the American Foundation of AIDS Research. Mm. So on June 5th, 1981, the CDC published an article describing the cases of a rare lung infection in five young, previously healthy gay men in Los Angeles. All the men have other unusual infections as well, indicating that their immune systems are not working. Two have already died by the time the report is published and the others will die soon after. This edition of the MMW that's the journal it was published in, marks the first official reporting of what will later become known as the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. So that kind of explains what AIDS was. It was like your immune system failing you slowly over time. Yeah. And there were a ton of different symptoms for Mm it. And nobody had ever seen this before. They were confused. Like, why is this only appearing in gay men? Blah, blah, blah. So then... From 1981 through 1987, there were many global breakouts of AIDS all over the world. And this was the period of time where research and treatment was really ramping up in a real way. And um, I just wanted to say, too, like from what we've just gone through with COVID, Mm -hmm. there are so many similarities between the two epidemics pandemics yeah um but the difference here is that there was so much more room for homophobia racism to come into play with aids Mm -hmm. obviously it's very present with covid now too but because the main people infected were gay people or people in urban centers people of color it was really easy for the government to not care and yeah. to not do anything. And like to make it like a moral issue. Like, yeah. and because I'm pretty sure it was still Reagan in office when this started. And Reagan yep. literally was like, fuck anyone who isn't like middle me. class white America. Yeah. Like us. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I meant like me as in uh, him. Well, also us. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But like a copy of him sort yeah. of. So then 1987 was a big year in, in regards to AIDS and, um, The known number of deaths by 87 was only Mm 4,135. So yes, that's a ton of people. But as far as the pandemic, it's not a ton of people. The first ACT UP protest on Wall Street happened in 1987. And that was like the best known protest movement, activism movement for the AIDS crisis. Right. They are name dropped as well in Rent. In the middle of La Vie Boheme. It's cringy, but... This is why we're giving you the context, at yeah, least. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Um, AZT became the first anti-HIV drug approved by the FDA. It cost $10,000 a year, making it the most expensive drug in history. Wow. Love that. Love wow. that. Uh, Ronald Reagan makes his first public speech about the AIDS crisis and signs an executive order creating the first presidential commission on AIDS. In 1987, and by the end of that year, there were 40,849 deaths. Yeah. So that's a huge skip up, a huge jump. So then to jump to the rent timeline, (laughs) in in 1988, the following year, playwright Billy Aronson had an idea to base a musical on La Boheme. And so he was like, who can I work with? Let me call up some people. Mm -hmm. And... um. That's when he started talking to Jonathan Larson. So then in 1991, a few years later, the CDC reports that 1 million people, 1 million Americans have been infected with HIV. Wow. Huge jump. And then by 95, the AIDS deaths in the U.S. reached an all-time high, 319,849. Wow. By... 
96, which we already talked about, this is when Rent had been written and was about to premiere at mm-hmm. the New York Theater Workshop. Jonathan Larson dies of an aortic aneurysm in 96. And then in April of 96, Rent moved to Broadway. It happened in about four months. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. By 97, AIDS patients begin to live longer thanks to new anti-HIV therapies called cocktails. But the number of deaths is still consistent annually, annually around 40K people since 1992 per year. Wow. In 2002, AIDS is still the leading cause of death worldwide among people aged 15 to 59, mm. which was surprising yeah. To me, because it's like very much our lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And like, we just were not aware of it. We were yeah. babies, but you right. know. This I found interesting. This is more of the present day stuff. Mm-hmm. So like COVID, there was a travel ban. There still is a travel ban. Wow. In a lot of countries, you yeah. know. But the U.S. did not end their travel ban against people who had, who were positive with HIV until 2009. Wow. So so if you had HIV and you wanted to come to the US, you couldn't come in? Here, what I think is that it was like the travel ban is there, but nobody really, like obviously people with AIDS were coming into the country. Right. Kind of like now, like people with, people with COVID, you know, yeah. have traveled yeah. internationally. Yeah. Like it's not how, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the travel ban was there until 2009. So mm-hmm. 87 to 2009, that travel ban was there. Wow. Um, and then in 2012, that that is when uh, PrEP was approved, which right. is the pre-exposure prophylaxis. Uh, it's like an exposure drug that you take daily mm-hmm. to prevent uh, getting AIDS if you come in contact uh, yes. with HIV. And it's like super accessible too. Well, it wasn't actually. Now it is though? Now it is. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, In 2012, it was $2,000 for a 30-day supply. What? And uh, wow, if you had health insurance, that would cover most of it. So it's yeah. still super expensive, but most people weren't paying that, obviously. Right. Um, and then- well, kind of, but not really. I mean, like did Medicaid cover it? Like, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, it did. Um, so really America was paying for it essentially, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, and then in 2021 and more, more recently, there have been generic versions approved. Nice. So it's cheaper nice. in general. And then my last thing <laughs> is really ironic and surprising to me, which is that in 2019, Trump and Fauci mm. announced a new plan to attempt to end the AIDS crisis within 10 years. And this is this is the quote. <laughs> it's just so ironic, this yeah. whole thing. This is in February 2019. So Fauci said, the goal of the new program is to reduce new infections by 75% in five years and by 90% in 10 years. HIV has cost America too much for too long. Um, who noted this, this dude said that, who noted that 700,000 Americans have died from AIDS. That, I I did not fact check that number, but it was a quote. So this it's man, probably right. this man said something. <sighs> Thank you, scholar Audrey. I appreciate <laughs> your research. I'm sure everyone else does too, because it, so again, like 80s was the worst or like the beginning yeah, the worst. Yeah. And this came out in 89. The The show came, went up on Broadway. Yeah. It's like. Oh, wait, no, no, no. 
Rewind. The show is set in 1989. The show went up in 1996. So yes, it is like over a decade after the beginning of AIDS when the show actually came out, but it's still very much in the middle. Yeah, definitely. Very much in the middle of the the timeline of figuring out how they're going to treat it. Yes. And um, it's kind of, it's not quite like if someone wrote a COVID musical right now, but it's not that far from it. Yeah. Like if somebody wrote a COVID musical in maybe three years would be oh, like you the know equivalent. that there's gonna be that yeah it's gonna be about like human connection you know what I didn't even know this is this is off topic but I didn't even know there was a 9-11 musical yeah I did not know Come From Away was about 9-11 I didn't know it was about 9-11 until pretty recently same because look at the branding it I thought it was like, like a like tropical a show. yes no that's what I thought too I always thought it was like set I thought on it was a tropical like once island. on this island or same. something same. Children of Eden. I don't know. That's Same. religious. <laughs> yeah, but is there something like that? Girl, me too. Okay. Ooh, all right. Weird. So we have one last little segment before we break. And um, it is things we remember about this movie from the first time we watched it. Childhood associations. I have so many. I have no actual child associations with it because I didn't see it until I was like 17. Okay. Didn't see the movie until... After I saw the show. So I actually saw the show first. Um, What? Yes. I saw the show first. Did you have a friend in it or something? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I've seen like six productions of Rent all in Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't know if I've ever seen a production of Rent. I've seen so many. I also did like photo and video for one too. Like I took the pictures. All in Ohio. I've taken pictures of a production of it. I did a promo video for one. Like, Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've done it all. Yeah. Okay, so the first time I watched Rent, I was in the upstairs TV room of my friend Shane's house. Shout out to Shane, because I know you listen. Um, And it was like a group of theater kids watching it in his living room or like in their TV room. It was like a den scenario. Half of the group probably had seen it already and half of us hadn't, but there were a lot of gays in that room that did not yet know that they were gays. And, um, or maybe they did know they were gays, but we weren't talking about the fact that they were gay yet. And I have hated this shit from the very beginning, but at the same time, it felt very edgy to come into contact with something like that in like eighth grade. When you are a theater kid, Rent is edgy. Literally, Rent is like the edgiest that you got in like 2008 like suburban drama club shit. Rent was the edgiest you got. We simply did not know what we did not know. <laughs> no. And honestly, as far as mainstream musicals go, like that actually deal with like heavy subject matter, Rent is like pretty high up there. But I remember watching it and like half the kids were like obnoxiously like theater kid quoting it the whole time. And I remember being like, wow, gays on TV. Like that was exciting. I have this really specific memory of this girl who I went to high school and middle school with. um, And I'm still friends with her now, but like, I don't talk to her that often. Um, But she had a bat mitzvah that was like musical theater themed. And she got up at her service, like at her bat mitzvah service. Cause like you like read from the Torah and stuff, but then you also like um, give like a speech sort of. And I remember she got up and she was like, she was like 525,600 minutes I've been preparing for my Bob Mitzvah. <laughs> I love it. And I'm actually pretty sure that she sang an entirely acapella rendition of the song with all lyrics changed out to be about preparing for her Bob Mitzvah, yeah. which I cannot 
iconic. It's so iconic. And it's also <laughs> like, that is what our middle school and high school experience was like. Like theater kid, bat mitzvah, Cleveland suburb vibes. Like that was it 100%. Yeah. Um, I also definitely, definitely participated in a mixed choir medley of Rent at one point, and I wore a beanie. Pretty insane that they did that, actually. Well, that's the whole thing about Rent. It's like, you guys won't do Chicago, but you'll... Well, because it's so easy to, like edit the lyrics and have it just be like teen angst almost like it's very easy to like remove it from context and that's kind of the thing with rent that I find to be so funny or like weird is that it's so not accessible material to like anyone in America except for this really specific pocket but something about the music people just really love yeah and then last but not least um I have a lot of really good memories with the song take me or leave me Oh, great pop culture moments as well. Yes. Like so many. I think about the girls episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was, fun fact about me, I was in a all-female acapella group in college and my friend Paige, who always was just into doing really like goofy or like deadpan shit, picked her senior solo to be Take Me or Leave Me from Rent and then my other friend sang it with her and they like really committed to it and it was really funny. So I think of that too. But I've always despised Rent. As a whole. So, yeah. It's on HBO Max. And that's just the beginning. (laughs) That's literally just the beginning. This is just like a special episode, basically, because we're educating also. Yeah. We'll just make it obvious. We had two short episodes before this, you know? Okay. Now that you have more context than you ever possibly could have prepared for, um, please go and watch Rent and meet us back here for a lively discussion. Christina Yerling-Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, everyone, we are back for the second half of this Rent episode. <laughs> um, what should we start with, Audrey? The good? I guess that's what yeah, we normally do. Like, I've never had such uneven notes in my life. Like, it's right. it's really light on the appreciate, okay. but we'll, we'll go for it. All right. I just have to, I have to throw some appreciation towards Adam Pascal's voice. Okay. Because... Whether you think it's comical, whether you think it's good, whether you think it, it's something. You know what I mean? Yes. 
And it, and of course he did perform on stage eight nights a week for years and he is a theater professional and yeah. I do love him. So yeah, 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 yeah. All those things. Um, <laughs> literally my, I have actually four notes under appreciate and they're not even like <laughs> that real. All right, all right. I have no clue why Sarah Silverman is in this movie. Bro. But the reason I put it in appreciate is because it woke me up. <laughs> it woke me up too. I was like, oh. There she is. Yeah. Regardless of how anyone feels about her, it woke me up. It it got my attention. I was, uh, I usually love Rosario Dawson and this kind of just morphs into worse, (laughs) but I was like, I usually love her. So yeah. Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I do like, especially since seeing Josie and the Pussycats, my appreciation for her has skyrocketed and Mm -hmm. I've kind of learned more about her as a person Mm -hmm. and I do appreciate her as a person. Yeah. And then, like, I can appreciate the legacy of Rent in a way. I wrote, my first note is, okay, the cultural contribution is large. Yeah. Yeah. Even though. Yeah. I mean, that that's it. That's it for me. Yeah. Okay. So I will, t- <laughs> I'll tag in. So the first, yeah, the first thing I wrote was, okay, it's very fucked up that he died. Cultural contribution is large. But again, I watched this movie through the lens of, this was a show or like a piece of art that was being created as this guy was slowly dying of AIDS and like coming to coming to grips with his mortality. But then I realized, no, 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 he didn't die of AIDS. So it's like, again, that really affected my viewing in terms of the positive stuff, even though it's like not valid. So that's there. I really appreciated that the people could actually sing. Like it was before they started casting just like famous people for no reason. Or I mean- it wasn't I, before. It's just it was that, in the midst of it. And well, Rent also, it was their only choice. Like it it seems to be clear to me now that this thing will not be made unless the original Broadway cast is in it. Yeah. Because you can just tell, you can really get that energy. Otherwise, why would you cast 40-year-old looking people to be playing their young 20s? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some they're supposed to be like nine between like 19 and like 24, yeah. probably. And if they were. It's kind of the Dear Evan Hansen effect again. Yes. Um, if they were, I think I would like this movie a lot more in me its too. current state. Yeah, me too. The, how badly it is made. All the bad things about it could be just a smidge more forgiven if they looked the age of the roles they are playing. Yeah. Because, the whininess is a lot more substantial. Yeah, it and it old. would be understandable. It'd be like, yes, a 20-year-old would say that. A 20-year-old would be this um, obnoxious and complain about their parents loving them. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay, wait. Before we get into the bad, because we're clearly going there. I love Angel. Yeah. She's kind of like, um, there's like a word for this. Um, It's like when there's like a minority and they're like perfect. Like what is the, there's a. They literally named her Angel. I mean, her name is literally. She's literally sacrificed to the gods. Yeah, it's it's like that. It's like. Um, like prophetic almost. Like, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be on the nose, but it's like, it's not that she's. I mean, she is a minority in terms of like gender expression in this cast of people, but like racially it's pretty diverse. But I just feel like she really gets this treatment of being like more of a symbol than an actual character. Especially in the movie. Yeah. She is less so in the stage show. Yeah. There's more to her because they're all literally on stage together. So you're looking at, you know, six people all together. She has more singing. She has more lines. She's just more of a character. Yeah. 
I loved, for some reason, I got so much satisfaction out of that scene of her breaking into the apartment when she picked up the trash can. That I just appreciated. Um, That's like the sole moment of character she gets in the whole movie. Pretty much, yeah. Um, And, well, and she, like, gives them money all the time and, like, she like supports their bitch asses multiple times. Like she's the one who covers all the money. Like when they go to that cafe and sing that stupid fucking song. Yeah. She is the one who pays for all of it. Um, yeah. And that doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> it doesn't sit right with me for so many reasons. Um, but I think also like one of the strengths of watching it, or like at least an emotional impact of watching it was like, watching her die made you actually feel something. But at the same time, I feel like, and we can just step into the bad zone with this. Like the show is like, here's our subject matter. And it's like, the story doesn't really exist. So it's like watching like the part when she's like in the hospital and like Collins is there, like holding her and she's looks super sick. I'm like, it feels almost manipulative in a way. Yeah, it is. I didn't like No, that. because none of like the stuff that's in the movie, if we, aside from like the issues of representation and how, like if we're going to just talk about the film itself, like the problems with the movie, Chris Columbus could not have been a worse choice to direct this. Yeah. Truly. The entire movie is made up of essentially muted montages. Yeah. With music playing over them. Like musical numbers. Yeah. That is not how... That is not how one adapts a stage show. No. The the shot that literally makes me so mad that it's funny <laughs> is when they're doing the montage of Roger with his girlfriend who passed away yeah. or who killed April. Kill, killed herself, right? I think she overdosed. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. So they both contracted AIDS and... Um, were also addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And there's this shot during the montage where she's shooting up in shadow, like in front of like a yeah. rain curtain, yeah. basically. Yeah. And he's kneeling in front of her. And I'm like, that's a stock shot. Like they're shooting up and this is like <laughs> Getty Images stock footage. Like what is going on? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so bad. Zero personality. Chris Columbus doesn't have a clue what he's shooting. Yeah. Just no idea. He doesn't understand the humor that is there. He doesn't understand the cultural context. He doesn't understand the people, the characters. Yeah. He doesn't get the setting. He doesn't understand like the geography of New York. No. He doesn't understand anything. No. And it is insane to watch. Yeah, I agree. The editing, the shots, the tone, the color, the coloring. (laughs) It's like, what is actually wrong with you? Yeah. (laughs) You should (laughs) never. Oh, and one, I could say a million things, obviously, but one thing that always makes me mad in any movie is when somebody in within the film is making a film and they use footage from the shoot of the film. Yeah, it's like so you annoying. need to shoot new footage for the film within the film. Yeah, yeah, Do yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Use actual like this is not like a recap. <laughs> this yeah, is not right, a recap right, right. of of uh you this know last week's episode. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You need to take the camera that the character is using in the film and shoot new footage. Yep. I hate it so much. It is bad. It's really annoying. It's so bad. Yep. And a lot of the stuff in like Rogers, or not Rogers film, in Mark's film, ultimately, like 
is literally, it looks like something from like a photo shoot they did for yes, the movie. in front of one of those curtains. And they're like out of character. Yeah. I'm like, what's they're happening? They're just like being themselves. Yeah, like. It's like, guys. No. Okay, <laughs> so how should we even approach our bad list? So there's a few key numbers in yes. Rent that were cut out of this film. Mm-hmm. They were filmed though, and I will be posting them on Instagram. You will <laughs> be able to watch them. Yeah. That explain the inner life and emotions of what these characters are feeling Mm -hmm. in the last quarter. Especially Mark. Especially Mark and Roger. Yeah. And sadly, they are the main characters. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) It was written by a white man, by a straight white man. Like, what do you expect? Like, you would like to think there's no main character, but if you had to choose, they are the main characters. The show starts with them. They get their key duets throughout the show. Yeah. And- uh, goodbye love and Halloween um, were cut and the ending was also kind of altered from the way that the stage show ends mm-hmm. it's a series of god awful decisions <laughs> why would you cut the emotional core understanding where these characters are at mentally if they are going to vocally sing it I uh, like what are they saying in the number though for people that don't know okay so Halloween happens uh, right after Angel's funeral. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, or like day of, like roughly the same time. It's Mark walking by himself. The way they shot it is hilarious. It looks like a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he's saying, um, he's basically like, how did we get here? Like I, he's just like talking his shit about, him always documenting everything mm-hmm. and feeling like life is kind of slipping through his fingers and all his friends are scattering to the wind and like, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. How am I going to go on essentially? Yeah. And then Roger reve- reveals that he is moving to Santa Fe or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because he just can't take it anymore. Yep. Um, he can't take Mimi's shit anymore. He's fed up, blah, blah, blah. And that's when goodbye love happens. And it's Mark being like, are you really leaving? Like you bitch ass, do not leave. Mimi needs you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's the main Roger and Mark fight of the show. It's like the best part though. It's the best part of the show because finally they're saying the things they've been thinking. Yeah. Or like the things that we're all thinking while we watch Mark just like be a little asshole. Awful. Yeah. And and Roger said, like literally I could see it. Do it. Do it. Okay. (laughs) I could just do the whole little diatribe, but do it. Do it. Oh, Mark starts. He's like, Mimi still loves you. Are you really jealous or afraid that Mimi's weak? Mimi did look pale. Mimi's gotten thin. Mimi's running out of time and you're running out the door. No more. And then, and then he's like, Hey, for someone who's always been let down, who's running out of town? What? Who are you being right now? I'm being uh, Adam Pascal. Mark. Oh, you're still Mark? Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Hey, for someone who's always been let down, who's running out of town? And then mm-hmm. Roger. Hey, for someone who's always longed for a community of his own, who's with his camera alone? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Mark goes, I'll call. I hate the fall. <laughs> Wait, but doesn't, doesn't uh, Mimi? Roger like oh. go in way more. Yeah. 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 You have to get to um, the meat of it here. So Roger, this is the real burn of the whole thing. Yeah. Right. He goes, 
but who, Mark, are you? Mark has got his work. They say Mark lives for his work and Mark's in love with his work. Mark hides in his work. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mark goes, from what? (laughs) And he goes, from facing your failure, facing your loneliness, facing the fact you live a lie. Yes, you live a lie. Tell you why. You're always preaching not to be numb when that's how you thrive. You pretend to create and observe when you really detach from feeling alive. Perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive. That's Mark. Right. Rude. Yeah, because he's like, I don't have AIDS. You have AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes on and on. But I love that. <laughs> I that love that part. <laughs> you know, it's needed too because, okay, can I just talk about Mark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's basically what we're leading okay. into. So Mark is like supposed to be, okay, he's kind of like the Nick Carraway almost. Like he has that sort of vibe, but he's yeah. also like a very thinly veiled vehicle for Jonathan Larson's like, like he's like his avatar That's his character. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny though, because in Wikipedia articles for rent, they're like, um, Mark was inspired by these two very specific friends of Jonathan's. And it's like, okay, but clearly it's probably like an amalgamation. It but- is. But like Jonathan went on record being like, yeah, my girlfriend left me for another woman. woman and also yeah. like, I feel, um, you know how there's so many jokes about him being like Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's very, cause Jonathan was Jewish also. Yeah. It just feels very connected to me. Yeah. Um, and so Mark is, okay, we don't need to say that Mark is the worst cause it's obvious, but there are just like specific inconsistencies in his suckiness that really irritate me. And just a couple things that were funny, like a funny one I thought was when he was at, when he like misgendered Angel yeah, well, they like, do a lot. He was like, he, mm, <laughs> she. Like, the way he said it was so Literally gross. in the funeral. I know. So, but, you know, partly it's like pronouns were less of a it's, thing. It's not. Potentially, you know, yeah, obviously. It's now. not about him having misgendered her. It was the way that he said it. He yeah. was just such a little weirdo about it. Yeah. Um, I also could not believe that we are supposed to like believe that he would just like walk into a life support meeting and like be able to film it. And they're all yeah. strangers. And they're like, like sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and also that like the women there never said, sure. Yeah. They just like, were like fine. And then I was like, okay, if you're filming everything all the time, Mark, why aren't you filming angels funeral? That was so confusing to me. I was like, okay, if you're that little asshole though, you should be filming this Yeah, like too. you would exploit this as well, totally. but under the guise of your art. And that is a huge, 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 huge takeaway from this. Yes. Um, it's worse now, but it's also dated and problematic <laughs> in yeah, a way. Well, so, and this is the thing, and we might have to come back to this later on. We're going through our categories here, but like that exact thing, like kind of what the part that Audrey just sang and like how it's talking about like hiding behind your work or all that, like, like the lack of boundaries between like storyteller and person the story is happening to feels like a really integral part of some of people's problems with rent. Because again, 
you think that Jonathan Larson is gay. You think that Jonathan, that Jonathan Larson had AIDS. You think that this is his story, that he's working through it and he's coping with it. But really he's taking things from his friends' lives and kind of repurposing. repurposing them and then making straight white men the main characters of a story about AIDS. Yeah. Which like gay, gay white men were a big part of, of the AIDS crisis, but like not the... There's not, way there, more there's than no just main that. character to the AIDS yeah, crisis. No, 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 no. Like, and, and you could almost like devil's advocate that and be like, well, you know, it would also be messed up if he had written like Angel is the main character. Oh, for sure. So, you know, you can't really win in this situation um, as far as like how it's going to age, no matter how this aged, it was going to be questionable. Yeah, Because totally. it, it's such an all-encompassing issue yeah. with so many angles. But the fact that that even translated into the plot of the show itself is interesting. Yeah. Like specifically, I can cite lyrics. Mm -hmm. The, um, <laughs> after, uh, this is dying in America. Yeah. That song, Mark, or sorry, Roger has decided to return from his five second right. layover in Santa Fe. Right, right. Um, and, uh, and Angel has already passed and Mimi is sick. Mm -hmm. She's getting worse. Roger's like, Mimi, I hear you. Angel, I see you. I hear I see in my film, I hear in my song. And then, and then yeah. Mark goes, he goes and quits his job. He's like, Alexi, right. <laughs> uh, I need to work on my own film. I quit dying in America. Yeah. It's like, so you are talking about two other people here. They, they, Mark and Roger are centered in the story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're talking about Mimi and Angel inspiring them, inspiring Mark to quit his $3,000 per video job right. for the sake of basically editing a home video um, together yeah. for yeah. no reason. Yeah. It's not going to help anything. He has no, um, he has no um, activist cause here. Nope. Like it'd be one thing if it's like, ACT UP really needs this, like, to platform yeah. themselves. They're not activists. They're not this. activists. They're not. Keep keep this pin in your brain. I just want to say there's a couple really bad lyrics. Just some oh, small yes, ones. Oh, yes, there are. Get the moonlight out of your hair. <laughs> that's the worst one. High ranking. Genuinely, I think that's the worst one. <laughs> okay. Another contender, though. <laughs> Another contender is, um, <laughs> is, like, where the fuck? I had it written down. But the part when he's like, how dare you leave me here with my oh, guitar? Yeah. And I know it's like a reference to earlier, but it was also bad in the first place. It was like, who do you, th oh, was, who, who do you think you are barging in on me and my guitar? And then he says, who do you think you are leaving me with my guitar? It's so stupid. I hate it. There's bad vibes aplenty in this movie. So many bad vibes. I love, yeah. Get the moonlight out of your hair. Like da -da 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 -da. how would she go about doing that? That move, I guess. Like get no. out of the window. <laughs> Like he, it's, he needs to get the moonlight out of her hair. He is the one projecting. Okay. Um, also it's Mark true. looks like a Pixar character in this entire movie. Mark? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next section. Uh, man. So. So we were talking about not being activists. Yeah. Mark and Roger, as we understand them, are young adults who have chosen the life they are living. Yes. They choose they literally choose to live in this apartment and not pay rent because their friend slash building owner. Um, Benny. Oh yeah, Benny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what happened to Benny? <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, which, oh man, the fact that it's Tay Diggs versus two white guys. Whoa. Yeah. All right. We, we're, this is this is not right. Yeah. Um, but they haven't been paying rent because Benny is letting that happen. And then at the beginning of the musical, Benny comes to them and is like, I can't do this anymore. You guys need to start paying rent. But... He literally gives them an out too. Yep. He's like, we can open this um, building where we will use the rent from other tenants to yep. fund your music and film like yep. studio. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, dude, like that's selling out. I'm not going to do that. It's like insufferable. It's insane that all of this is written into the show. And he comes back later and is like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let you not pay rent based on nothing. And yeah. they're still like, no. We don't and it's also, partly it's like an ultimatum. He's like, I, I'm not gonna let you keep not paying rent. I need you to stop. What's her face's protest thing. Maureen. Maureen, which yeah. we haven't even got, we haven't even touched on Maureen. But, um. <laughs> why, why would she, why would she protest against the studio versus the literal ignoring of the AIDS crisis? Yeah. Like, I wish rent was a satire. Yes. If rent, I wrote, that's one of my like final thoughts is like, if rent was a satire, it would be genius. Yep. Because now it kind of is a satire. Yeah. But if it had the intentions of that, it would be really interesting. Yeah. But the fact that it genuinely was that at the time and is now kind of a satire of a certain age and mentality is interesting. Um, like a super white, mm-hmm. white people choosing to live in urban centers, choosing to be starving artists for the sake of an image, for the sake of, I don't want to sell out. Literally no one cares. Not one person cares. Yeah. It's, it's also just really interesting because I feel like now there's like semi a parallel to this where it's like people like us moving to New York and yes. like having creative careers and stuff like that. And Obviously, we're different than these people because these people can't even exist in New York basically anymore because it's too expensive. Yeah. Um, so I think thinking about it from like a pre-gentrification perspective too is interesting. Um, but there's still at the end of the day, they arguably are like what some of our peers would have been doing in the in, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now the, the they can we don't even have a chance to we don't even have a chance to be like Mark. Right? No. <laughs> like, couldn't even try to do that. We don't. The jobs are absolutely necessary. Yeah. There is no, I won't sell out. It's you literally can't live here. Yep. Which is a problem. Yeah. Obviously a huge issue of its own. Right. Nowadays. So I read somewhere, somebody said this is, <laughs> that this adaptation of Rent is Green Book for the AIDS crisis. <laughs> absolutely correct. That's just a quick note. <laughs> okay. Um, I, hate that we don't get to actually know any of these characters. No, you really and, don't. And they did cut out the songs that let you know at least surface level what they're thinking. Yeah. <sighs> oh. We didn't need so many characters. But again, like, Jonathan, it seems like his intent was to basically write puppet characters for people that he knew in real life and, like, put them all on a thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's that. The entire ending. Mimi not dying? Huh? What is this? Okay. Angel saved her, Audrey. If you found her on the street, if you found Mimi on the street, she was, you know, basically dying at that point. They bring her to Mark and Roger's apartment. 
take her to the hospital. What is wrong with you people? Right. Also, like, she has AZT. You're telling me these people can afford AZT in these days? Right. She literally has it in one of the scenes. She's yeah. like, AZT break. How do you have that? Right. If you don't have a job and you don't she have insurance, have she doesn't make that much. She I, doesn't you make, don't know how much she, doesn't she makes. 10K a month. <laughs> Maybe she also has parents that are giving her money. Maybe. that That's what we're left to assume because, well, and to be fair, her parent, her mother is in the show. There's a bunch of musical interludes in the show that are completely cut from the right. movie. And it's their parents being like, me, me, uh, where are you? Blah, 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 yeah. blah. And all this. So her parents do exist. Her yeah. mom does. And also the homeless people have a way bigger role in the show. Right. They have their own songs. <laughs> um, Not songs. But it, they're kind of just standing there. It's like interludes, basically transitions. Yeah. I feel like this just works so much better as, as a, stage, a show. stage show. Like for so many reasons. So to, to wrap up and to try to make sense of this mess, huge, huge mess. I know we cite Lindsay Ellis kind of a lot because yeah. she's got great true analytical points mm -hmm. um, on both Phantom of the Opera and Rent. Yes. But for me, the reason, the main reason that Rent doesn't work as a show as well as a movie mm -hmm. is because, and this is after you've been educated about the reality of the AIDS crisis, is that nothing, if everybody in reality had been like, well, fuck the system. Like, I don't want to take part in this. I don't, I don't, you know, withdraw, kind of be negative yeah. and withdraw. Nothing would have happened in, in life. You um, mean like if, if the actual AIDS activists acted the way that the rent characters yes. act? Yeah. Um, you know, we might not have prep today. We might not have like the progress that we've been able to yeah. have regarding AIDS. So like the fact that, and here's the other huge issue with that is the only reason it's like this is because it's based on La Boheme. Mm -hmm. That is the only reason that it follows this really specific like story arc. Yeah. Almost like event arc. Almost yeah. everything in Rent is directly connected to La mm -hmm. Boheme. Even like Angel, like as a character, yeah. um, the dog dying in like Today for You, Tomorrow for Me. That's, oh. it's all like lifted. So, That's so weird. Like, I can't fully blame Jonathan Larson for taking this other guy's idea, mm -hmm. adapting it into what he thought would be good, and then it being, like, ideologically inconsistent with the reality of what was going on. Yeah. Like, it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, however, none of these characters are activists, and they... Maureen's a fake activist, but Yeah, they're, actually. like, poser, poser yeah. vibes. So, like... If he was going to attempt to do a good job at representing the AIDS crisis, it could not have been based on La Boheme because yeah. it, it doesn't make sense with what was going on. And this is what I wrote here. I'm just going to read it. We'll see what I said. Okay. <laughs> Great representation of when well-intentioned white people synthesize and use black or underprivileged experiences for their own benefit and ultimately centered in their own story. And that's Jonathan Larson, kind of. Yeah. And that's Rent. I'm just really curious to know if I would have reacted to Rent in a similar way that I reacted to Hamilton. Which was? Which was initially, initially it's like, what is this new thing? Like everybody's talking about it. Like, mm -hmm. let me listen to it. Let me 
you know, memorize it essentially. Like I, I really did listen to Hamilton a lot. Yeah, me too. We developed our distaste for Lin-Manuel Miranda pretty early. Yeah, we did. We um, were at, when we have documentation that we were way ahead of the curve yeah. of making fun of him. And I think that's not something to be proud of. It's not like that. It's just, it's just, um, I just want to know how I would have reacted in that moment. You know, like what are, because Hamilton, everybody shits on Hamilton now for being problematic, cringy, blah, 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 all these things. I think that as someone who did encounter it in middle school, when it was like still at least kind of new to like my peer group, I don't think you would have liked it because the thing first and foremost that you get about Rent when you're just watching it is that these people think they are better than most people, more interesting, smarter more deserving of good things. Like the characters are pretty insufferable and that is just unavoidable. Yeah, I mean, no matter what. Yeah. If if Rent wasn't a musical, no way in hell I would enjoy it. No. It would <laughs> in be, any way. It would be like, I feel like the lack of self-awareness of the characters in a scenario where it wasn't a musical would be almost comparable to Girls. Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah, and then again, it's like, well, that's the point of Girls. It's not the point of Rent. No, it's not the point of Rent. The thing that's been swirling around in my brain about it is like, it's, I want to ask, like, do we, what do we think of the fact that Jonathan Larson made this being who he is? But at the same time, he never got to like follow up on any of it. No. So it's so hard. Super unfair. It's super unfair to like come for him. And also like, it's very, very clear that he like, loved his work so much and really like cared for the community even yes. if it's just a thing he made yeah it's you know? simply a thing he made yeah he, it's it is sad it is really sad that he wasn't able to see the success that it received yeah. I mean just for anyone no matter what the art is if they miss their heyday yeah that as two people who understand, mm-hmm. you know, what it's like to create things in general. Yeah. That's really, really sad to me. It is really sad. And like, I have, I just can't imagine that being like his surviving family and like seeing the legacy and just is really pretty heartbreaking. And I yeah. understand why the cast was so protective, so mm-hmm. intense about this this show yeah, because it's like they nurtured it with him and then he like passed on and they, it was in their hands to yeah. like see it through. Yeah. Um. So like, there's so many reasons to be like, there's so many reasons to be like, Oh, like all about yeah. it. And like romanticize the legacy of rent. Mm-hmm. If I was like involved with it more, I, you kind of have no choice but to like fall under its spell. Yeah. If you are in it or you're on crew for it or you're like doing something for it because the soul of the show is really specific. Yeah. And it also is really positive at the end of the day. Yeah. And people back then, like it was kind of created, it was created as like a source of inspo um, for a generation that was very downtrodden by the epidemic mm-hmm. the pandemic and um like at the end of lab om the mimi character dies yeah at the end of rent the mimi character lives by proxy through the character that did die and that there's some some shit to unpack yeah. there also like won't she just die later 
I mean, you know, by that point, you know, it's like potentially. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe so. I mean, they still all have AIDS. All the characters that have it still have it. Mm-hmm. There's no solutions here. She lives basically. There's no like reason. No, there's no. It's just it's just so it won't be a massive bummer. There's a lot here. We don't have answers. God. We just have questions. But we do have answers to... The following I, I couldn't even pick answers for these for really? some of them. I mean, I have my worst song and I have my best choreo. Best choreo for, from the film is Tango Marine oh, because it that, is though. basically the only choreo in the whole thing. Yeah. There's a lot of walking, blocking, walking, talking, blocking, hardly any dancing except for Tango Marine. And that's because it's in their imagination, which is a stupid change for the movie. But I understand why they did it. Yeah. It's just... It's a hard sell. I, I get it. Yes. They couldn't decide. Diegetic, non-diegetic. Oh, no. Blah, they blah. would not decide. Side note, Tango Maureen. It's bisexual representation. Is she chaotic and slutty? Is it bad? Yes. Kind of. But, but is it still kind of fierce? Yes. It's early. So we take it. To me, worst song, Santa Fe. Same. Because it's boring. I wrote the same thing. Why did they leave Santa Fe and get rid of... Of the character development. Talk about a song you don't need at all. It's Santa Fe. <gasps> I know. Nope. There is no reason for it. You could have left in Halloween and Goodbye Love and we would feel nothing. We would feel... We would not miss it. We would feel nothing but more understanding of what we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Best song is so hard for me because Out Tonight is very fun. Mm-hmm. I really love singing that sick burn of Mark in Clearly. Goodbye Love. Yeah. Light My Candle. Mm-hmm. There's What You Own is kind of fun to sing. Yes. Like there's a lot of fun things to sing. Yes. My favorite song is I'll Cover You. Oh yeah, I'll because Cover You. there's two mm-hmm. reasons why. First of all, it's a bop. Second of all, because it's too, like it's like a tenor and like a baritone. Yeah. Um, so low. It's so low. Which leads me to my favorite line to sing is, <laughs> I can't do it in the original octave, but when he goes, open your door, I'll be your tenant. Yeah. I, I'm like, yes, this is what I want. Like, yes. Yes. And the way that Columbus chose to shoot that scene is criminal. It is criminal. <laughs> I like was really confused when I was Again, watching Again with it. the documentary thing. Yeah. Lindsay Ellis said in her video, which is so funny, she was like, why does it look like there's a PI shooting this from across the street? <laughs> it totally does it look like It looks like, like secret undercover footage. Yeah. I'm like, this is not intimate. This no. is not loving. No. Why are they, the entire song is shot from them walking from one end to, of a block to the end of it yep. in this like weird little market fair looking thing. I think it's supposed it's to Tompkins, be Tompkins. But they added a subway <laughs> Dude, stop. Okay, that's what I was thinking. It doesn't make sense. Because I saw it there and I'm like, wait, did they just like put that? Is that like a prop? It's like a prop. But how are they walking up the stairs? Well, I think it's a set, right? Like they're not actually in, I don't really know. I think that some of it had to have been on location because yeah, how, some of it is. How else could they have spent four hundred million dollars yes. if some of it wasn't on location? Forty million. Oh, yeah. sorry, forty million dollars. Four hundred million. <laughs> They're building like a rocket. Um, the rent rocket. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. Um, worst song. I agree, Santa Fe, but I also fucking hate Lavi Bohem so much. Yeah. Um, and that's all I had for my favorites. God. Favorite line though, I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know if I can choose. There's a lot of good lines to sing. Just fun. 
I would also like to say that I despise it when they um say rent for no reason. Mm-hmm. And they say rent for no reason a lot. How we gonna pay? How we gonna pay last year's rent? That was in a really weird key. Next year's rent. Okay. <laughs> uh, man, I, I really want you guys to reach out to us on this one. Yeah, like, we don't know. I mean, it's, is it worthwhile? No. See the show. Like, if you want to understand the phenomenon, if you want to see a better version of the story, see a staged production of Rent. And then Hopefully you can- at one l- done by people that are good and not yeah. high schoolers. And you can at least understand what it's supposed to be in its true form. Yeah. And you can just have a little more respect for it. Yeah. Because this is not a good representation of the show or the crisis. Yeah. Agreed. So- what is it doing? It basically exists to make money and it didn't. So it didn't even... The movie so- didn't make money. Yeah, and it, so it didn't even solve that. Yeah. It didn't even accomplish that. Oh. oh, okay. I would like for us to go out on a harmony. Dying in America At the end of the millennium We're dying in America America to come into our own and when you're dying in America at the end of the millennium blow for me <laughs> do, 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 do. you're not alone I don't know how that ending goes no this I'm is not, not it this is not it this is not it And for the record, I only know that because two kids in my eighth grade class sang it for a talent show. Okay. (laughs) We'll stop bothering you now. Literally, we will let you move on with your day. (laughs) It's been a journey. That's honestly what it feels like. It's been a seminar. We are holding them hostage. Okay. Um, Please watch the movie. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review. Leave us a review. I'll do the song. No one wants it. It must have made people uncomfortable when I did the song. And can I blame them? No, I don't blame you. I don't blame them. But we'll do something. We'll do something. Tell us to do something. Tell us like a code word and we'll sneak it in that. Or (laughs) maybe like, um, can you tell we just want reviews really bad? Yeah, just like, like give it to us, please. Okay, we'll be back next week with another episode that will most likely be less scholarly than this one. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Bye. Okay, bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. Bye. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs>
You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.